Today's scripture reading is from the book of Mark, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave two disciples a task, saying to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says, Why are you doing this? Say, Its master needs it, and he will send it back right away. They went and found a colt tied to a gate outside on the street, and they untied it. Some of the people standing around said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told him just what Jesus had said, and they left, and they left them alone. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their, their clothes upon it, and he sat on it. Many people spread out their clothes on the road, while others spread branches cut from the fields. Those in front of him and those following were shouting, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. After he looked around at everything, because it was late in the evening, he returned to Bethany with the twelve. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Barbara. Good morning. Well, if you hadn't noticed, or if you've been asleep until now, it's Palm Sunday, just so you know. Um, it is Palm Sunday. This is the day that marks the beginning of the last week of Jesus' ministry, the last week of his life. We know that by the end of the week, um, so what we're going to do here, we're going to remember that Jesus was betrayed, he was arrested, he was crucified, but today we remember that it was a day of celebration. It was a day where the crowds of people who followed Jesus were rejoicing. They were excited. They were hopeful. They were ready because they believed that Jesus had come to fulfill their deepest desires, their greatest expectations. They believed that their God at last had come, that he had sent his Messiah to save them, to free them, and to establish his kingdom. And you know what? They were right. And they were wrong. All at the same time. They were right. The crowds, they identified Jesus as God's Messiah. They were right about that. But their thoughts of and ideas of being saved were dominated by these ideas of power, of human glory or earthly glory, um, the overthrow of Roman authorities. They believed that Jesus was going to establish a kingdom. Again, they were right. But they were expecting a national political kingdom where Jesus would sit on a throne right there in Jerusalem where Israel would regain its former glory that it had known in, in former times, and, and they completely missed what Jesus was teaching about the kingdom, the paradox of the kingdom that he was ushering in. He rode in on a colt, not a stallion. He was a servant, not a warrior. He, the saving work he came to accomplish was for the entire world, not just for the people of Israel. So the crowds were joyful and they were hopeful, but they were at the same time blinded 
by their own expectations. You see, on this day, this triumphal entry day, they had it all figured out and they could see their expectations that they had been holding on to coming to fulfillment very soon. They believed in Jesus, yet they held on to their expectations of what God's Messiah was supposed to do and they took those expectations and they put them right over top of Jesus. And so if he deviated at all from their expectations, what sort of conclusions then would they come to? That he was a fraud, that he was a liar, not the one who had come from God to save them. Now, was wanting to be saved wrong? No. Was wanting Jesus to lead them and be their king wrong? No, not entirely. The problem was that they set their expectations according to their will and their desires, their understanding. It was like they were praying, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as I envision it. And it was this expectation that they held on to that they just put right on Jesus that became a burden and it weighed them down when Jesus didn't act accordingly. So, Let's talk about expectations this morning because we all have them. We all envision our lives going a certain way. We all hope for the best possible outcomes to take place. But I believe that even the most well-intentioned expectations can become a weight on us and just suck the joy right out of our lives if they are not surrendered to God. So let me begin by defining what I am saying an expectation is this morning. So we're all using the same working definition. Um, an expectation is an outcome based on my personal will and desires. You might say it's a self-seeking outcome. So Thomas Akempis, uh, a priest and an author from the 14th century, best known for his work, The Imitation of Christ, he said this, If there be in you any self-seeking, this it is that burdens you and weighs you down. So whenever I set out to have my unsurrendered will accomplished, whenever I place my hope, my joy, my satisfaction, my worth in my expectations or in my desires being fulfilled, then I have just created a very heavy burden in my life. Because what if it doesn't become a reality? What if our expectations aren't met? Those expectations that we have for our families, for our jobs, for our futures, on and on. And that even the thought of that, that that might not happen. See, we now have a lot of reason to fear because our hope, our self-worth maybe, possibly our faith, 
are dependent on those things happening. And so anxiety and worry set in with all sorts of what-if scenarios running through our minds. And then because of that that fear, we start to think, well, now I have to make this happen. And so we hustle and we work and we grasp and we strive as if our lives depended on it. Because we think, I have to have this to be whole or to be fulfilled or to be happy or to be satisfied or to be valuable or successful or whatever that would be. Talk about stressful. But as much as we might like to try, we can't control things like the future, other people's choices or actions, illness, death. We can't control any of that. And so what many of us do without even realizing it is we look to Jesus and we say to ourselves, well, he's the one that can handle it. And then we do to him just what the crowd did. We take our expectations and we place them right on top of him. Now, what do I mean? I mean that we have faith in Jesus. We believe in him. We know he is powerful and capable. We believe that with God, all things are possible. But all of that is interpreted through the lens of whether or not my expectations based in my will are met. God is good because my life is good. God is faithful because my expectations are met. But we know that life is not always good, and we know that our expectations are not always met. And so if my life is dependent upon my expectations being met, where does that leave me in the difficult or the disappointing times? What does that do to my faith? I really like what Anne Lamott said about expectations. She said, expectations are resentments under construction. I think she might be onto something here. Placing our hope in our expectations only sets us up for disappointment and resentment. Because hear me, your expectations cannot hold the weight of your hope. Christ is the only one strong enough who can hold your hope. He is the only one faithful enough. He is the only one steady enough and sure enough to be able to hold all of that. He is the only one you can trust with your joy, with your satisfaction, with your purpose, with your worth, with your family, and he will be there when your expectations abandon you. So what's a better way to approach our expectations? If I'm not going to take them and say, all right, Jesus, be my God, make that happen. If we're not doing that, What's the better way? We acknowledge our expectations and our desires. First thing, I would encourage every single one of us, just take some time and just think about it. Just be honest with yourself. What are my expectations? What are those things where I'm like, I would die if I didn't have this? person, thing, whatever. I would be crushed. I I don't know how I'd go on. Whatever. What are your expectations? Maybe you don't even realize you've got some, but just name them. Be honest. 
Ask yourself, what are these things based in? Are these based in my comparison to somebody else's life? Are they based in a cultural standard of success or happiness? Um, Are they based in insecurities or fears? Um, Some of them you're going to find. These are just good, normal things. These are just normal things. Nothing wrong with these expectations. The point is, just to be honest, and name them. And then name them before God. Confess them your expectations, your desires before God and surrender them to Him. Listen, the best expectation is a surrendered expectation. We all have them. We all have them. The best ones are the surrendered ones. Why? Because my will is never going to dictate God's actions, I can stress, and I can strain, and I can weep, and I can wail, but my will is never going to dictate to God what he will or will not do. He acts according to his will. Am I saying we shouldn't pray to God for anything? No. We should most definitely pray, but with a willingness in a surrendered posture to let God adjust our expectations as needed. And the only expectation that can be adjusted is the one that is placed in his hands. So in my praying, God must always be given the opportunity to course correct me where needed. So I don't place my expectations on top of God. I place them in his hands. They're not a demand for how God should act. They're a surrendered sacrifice before him. Jesus practiced this at the end of that same week. That he rode into Jerusalem amidst the praise and the favor and the fanfare of the crowds. Jesus found himself sweating and full of anxiety at the thought of what was ahead of him. And as he prayed in the garden, Jesus didn't pretend in front of his father. He was honest when he prayed, Abba, Father, for you All things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. What was he doing? He was acknowledging that he had a desire. Guys, this gives us permission to say, God, I have this thing I want really bad. He was acknowledging that he had a desire. And he knew his father had the power and strength to make that happen. But he also knew that hanging on to it and demanding that God act accordingly, making it an expectation, would be placing his will over top of the Father's will. And so in his surrender, he prayed, not what I want what you want. Not my will, but your will. That's the way Jesus thought. 
And in Philippians 2.5, we are reminded, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So we surrender our expectations to God, even the good expectations. And look, surrender doesn't mean that, that God is going to take all the good things away from you and that you're not going to have any joy in your life. More than likely, many of your expectations will probably happen. There's a lot of things. I want a good life, you know, I just want to be, you know, there's certain things that we just sort of, there's going to happen. God's not going to strip away all your joy and all your happiness. It just means that that's not where all your hope is placed. That's not, that's not where your joy and fulfillment live. That's not dependent on your expectations happening. Your life, your faith in God are not crushed if they don't happen. Your most vibrant life will be found not in trying to force your expectations on God, but in seeking Him and surrendering to Him. Your faith develops and it strengthens not when you demand your envisioned life and you fixate on that, but when you choose that surrendered trust to God and you learn to desire Him above any expectation or desire that you might have. Because God can always be trusted to have our best interests at heart. We can surrender our expectations and wills to Him without fear. And then see, now I'm positioned to wait expectantly for what He'll do. There's a big difference. On that note, God is always up to something grander than we can imagine. He knows how to bring the wow. Listen, my expectations, I can control it. Um, there's no big surprises. There's no big wonderfulness in it. But I'm telling you, you surrender those things to God, and what God is going to bring to you is the wow. Because he always has something going on that is way better than what you can imagine. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, it was great. I'm sure the disciples were dancing with joy and excitement with the crowds. But by the end of the week, right, things would be very different. Their expectations would be crushed and devastated. And they just about would be crushed and devastated right along with them. But then Sunday came. And Jesus rose. And suddenly, every expectation that they had held on to so tightly seemed so small and so insignificant in comparison to what God had been doing all along. So can we believe that today? That's my hope for all of us, that we can believe that today, that whatever expectations we may have, as wonderful as they may seem to us, cannot begin to compare with what God has in mind for us. His ways are always bigger, always deeper, always higher than what we can imagine. So may you trust that today. May you trust that especially in your disappointment and in your pain. May you surrender all your expectations to him and may he transform your will in the process. That's our goal. That is becoming like Christ. Amen.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for taking our expectations, for keeping keeping them, transforming them, giving things back to us in remolded, reformed, beautiful ways. Lord, you truly will make it so that the desires of our hearts are the desires of your heart. And Lord, I'm just reminded of Psalm 34 where you say that if we delight in you, you'll give us the desires of our hearts. Lord, it's not that when we delight in our expectations or delight in our own desires that you give us that. It's when we delight in you, we seek you. So Lord, my prayer for us is that you would make us people who are starving to death and thirsting to death for you, not for anything else that we would seek you wholeheartedly, that we would desire you above anyone or anything. And then, Lord, that you give us the desire of our heart, that you give us you. Lord, I know we can have as much of you as we want. May we desire you, Lord. Do the work in us and transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.